Hey there, I'm Adam Shurkin. Welcome to our first episode of Composers in Play. Piano Lunaire is a new music organization based in New York City and Toronto. And this coming Saturday, we have the eighth installment of our series by the same name, Composers in Play, entitled Accumulation of Purpose. I've invited two of the composers whose music is going to be featured on this program to join me in conversation today, David T. Little and Jonathan Wyatt. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh, nice to have you guys here. We're um, planning a, a show, or we're actually we've, we've more than planned it, we're, we're getting ready to perform it on Saturday the 24th of February. It's the eighth installment of Composers in Play here in New York. It's entitled Accumulation of Purpose, uh, which also happens to be the title of your piece, David, uh, Six Studies for Solo Piano. That's right. Uh, so a little bit about our guest tonight. Um, David T. Little is a twice Grammy-nominated composer uh, from this area of the country, from what I understand. That's right. Very very close by. Uh, David received Grammy nominations for two of his... Um, uh, they're operas, David, but they are... They're operas, film which operas. are also films. Film yeah. operas, Black Lodge. Black Lodge and Soldier Songs. And Soldier Songs. So congratulations. Thank you. Fresh off the, the heels of, of, of Grammy fever, I'm sure, right? Fresh off the red carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and David tells me that uh, uh, he's just finished uh, a, a new work entitled Sin Eater. Mm-hmm. Sin Eater, which is another theatrical work uh, for choir and string quartet, which is commissioned by The Crossing. Um, uh, the subtitle is a Ritual Grotesquerie, and it looks at who we ask to sin for us so that we don't have to. Sin or suffer for us so we don't have to. And is this for a similar combination of uh, forces that you've written for in the past, or is it a new No, this is a new, new instrumentation. This is a new one, yeah. Choir. I've written for The Crossing before. I have a piece for The Crossing, which is 24 Voices and uh, Ice. That piece is a sort of smaller subset of a symphonietta. Uh, this was string quartet with also uh, synthesizer and percussion, oh, okay. um, which are played by the choir. Great. Uh, and sandpaper blocks and a couple other small things that they play throughout. But um, yeah, it was really cool. fun. It's a it's a big. It's about a seventy minute piece, semi staged, and uh, we did it in the fall in Philadelphia, and working on plans for some future performances. And we recorded it as well, so that'll hopefully be. I'm not sure the timeline for the release of that, but that'll be on the horizon uh, from the crossing. So excellent. Well, we'll well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, Terrific. And Jonathan, uh, you're recently kind of, we could call you an emerging composer, I sure. think it's fair, fair yes. to say, with lots of lots of experience and uh, ambition. Um, you've written a, a wonderful new work entitled Pharmacy that I'll be premiering on Saturday, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but as far as your catalog as it stands, you would you call yourself sort of more of an instrumental composer at this point? Or? At this point, sure. Yeah. yeah, I've done a bit of everything in terms of film and stage, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely focusing on the the concert stage at the moment and getting right. as much instrumental music out there as possible. And you've had a recent local success with the New York Song Slam 2024. That's right. Yes. Yeah. My entry into songwriting, as you could say, art songwriting. Um, yes, we won the audience prize at this event, uh, which was a big surprise, a big shock. And um, I'm working with my friend James Danner, the poet. Uh, and yeah, it's been a fantastic experience. We're going to keep writing more songs together, hopefully. Congratulations. So he's keen to do more together, it sounds like. It seems like it. You know, when anyone says yes, uh, you go with it. (laughs) (laughs) And this was for the Sparks and Wiry Cries uh, 
Song Slam. Song Slam, and they they do this annually. They do, yes. And it's a fantastic program for anyone that especially is at my level because it's free to apply for, and it's actually first come, first serve in terms of the application. So there's no panel to judge your music. You just sign up and and get a slot, and they give you this opportunity to write a, a song, an art song, and also uh, they record it with a video uh, for, for you to share. So fantastic opportunity if anyone is into it. Um, I'll be at the show next year, so you'll <laughs> okay. see me there. Great. Yeah, that's a fantastic organization who you know works with fabulous singers. So if you're interested in singers, definitely um, Sparks and Wire Cries is a great, great organization mm-hmm. to, to get acquainted with. And do they always perform at National Sawdust for the final? I believe final so, show? but yeah. they also have many different uh, shows in different cities. I think okay. that's happening all around the world. That's their big uh, program, but it's really a fantastic, yeah, fantastic chance. Great, great. Well, I'd love to um, shift gears a little bit, and and, uh, and now that we've introduced you independently, I think it's important to to um, underscore that you've had a long long term relationship uh, as as musical. Uh, mentors and That's right. a mentor and a mentee. You've had, I think, you're probably good professional friends at this point as well. Jonathan, you mentioned you had known David since your. I since was your 18. Teens. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I was 18, graduating high school. Um, I'm from a, a really small town in Virginia, so I, I really consider this point in my life emerging from under the rock. You know, <laughs> seeing what's out there in the world. And uh, there was David on the other end of a, a Zoom call, <laughs> deciding if I could get into Shenandoah Conservatory, right. <laughs> uh, where I did my undergrad so yeah that was a, a yeah an amazing meeting I would say and very yeah. eventful very fruitful for my career certainly and um yeah I've only since learned so much from David so and had, had you been familiar with David's music before you met him uh I became familiar with his music really as part of the college search okay. um uh looking at uh, who was teaching in the schools in Virginia and, and yeah. where I would like to apply and getting to know the music of those teachers and at that point I know for sure Dog Days was out. That was probably the main piece of his I became familiar with. Um, and then, yeah, I certainly learned more as I got to know him. But I came in, yeah, knowing Dog Days and knowing he was kind of kooky. He was writing these <laughs> these crazy dark operas. And uh, from where me. I was from, in my, my position, I, I, uh, I only knew opera from Verity and, you know, very old school opera. So it was my introduction both to David and to modern <laughs> opera in one, yeah. one sitting, it seems. That's great. And David, I mean, it's safe to say you've really a big component, a very successful aspect of your career has been opera writing. Yeah, opera and stage work is a big part of uh, my my life, and uh, and really, I think how I think about music in general. Uh, you know, everything is dramatic in some capacity, even if it's a concert piece. And I think even accumulation of purpose has that quality. I mean, that there's definitely a sort of moment in the piece. Um, where it's it's very clearly the sort of climactic moment, the motivic material that cycles through and returns, sort of structured dramatically. So, um, yeah, I'm always thinking about theater and drama. And um, yeah, it's funny, when Jonathan and I first met, so I, I was teaching at Shenandoah. I taught there pretty briefly, actually. It was only about three years I was there before coming um, back here. I was here from here originally and um, went from Shenandoah to Manus, um, where we all met uh, well we met before but where we all sort of got acquainted um and uh so i was interviewing jonathan for admission to shenandoah knowing that i wouldn't be there the following fall right so it was a funny sort of situation where i was like well 
this guy's great. Somebody's going to have a really good time <laughs> working with him. And then it ended up, you know, Jonathan Newman came in uh, and that ended up working out really well. But then we sort of got to know each other through the New Music New York program. That's right. So when I was leaving Shenandoah, I was sort of, uh, it was kind of a, a bit of a crossfade overlap transitional sort of thing where I was still involved in some capacity. I had some changed title and I was um, basically organizing this um, trip for the students in, from Virginia to come to New York during their spring break and just have like a really hardcore new music week in, in the city. And um, it was hardcore. It was like <laughs> really jam packed, like three, you know, yes. like multiple shows a day, meetings at BMI and ASCAP and oh, publishers. Yeah. And basically I was like, Hey everybody I know there are these, these cool students coming from Virginia. Let's show them what's up. And, um, and so we sort of got to know each other on that trip totally. because we were sort of just like w hanging out. Running from show to show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I guess it was, so that was a couple of years. I think you did that more than once. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah that, I was on the inaugural new music and New York trip. And then I did one more my senior year. And I think they, they still do that program, oh, that's cool. uh, which that's is really awesome. Yeah, it's um, fun. It's a really fun program. Yeah, definitely. And that was a huge eye opener for me in terms of what New York could be. And I think I probably made my decision then that this is where I need to be to, to do what I want to do. Uh, but yeah, I remember meeting so many professionals on that trip, the panels that David organized. Um, yeah, the composers that I met, I met Missy Mazzoli and uh, Claire Chase. We did eye shows, all this, you know, eye opening stuff that wow. you just can't get in Virginia. So yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You can, but not all in one week. No, <laughs> certainly you know. not. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it has to be spread out a little more. I think, but yeah, that was that was those were really fun. And then so we sort of got to know each other through through those, you know, you know, one week a year kind of hanging yeah. out in New York. And then um, I don't remember if you reached out or if you just applied or what. But probably it, yeah, both. Um, and we yeah. were in touch, yes. you know, and so then Jonathan came to Manus. And we worked together for two years there, oh, which yeah. was really fun. Coming to Manus was certainly, it was nice to have uh, a school like Manus to ex be accepted into and to come to, but also moving to New York was huge for me. Yeah. Um, and David, I felt like, you know, I was pretty comfortable with for better, uh, yeah, for better, because I <laughs> felt like I, um, I wanted his perspective on my music and I definitely got it in those two years, but also it was a sort of, felt like a safe space to move to New York, you know, an exotic new city, but sort of a familiar person to sure. come see every week with the music. So, um, yeah, it was a, a, a very welcome um, time to, yeah. to be at Manus. And it sounds like there was a lot more support and information and indeed education you were getting outside of your in your your composition lessons. There was there was sort of a way to experience the city and to be a well-rounded artist, it sounds like, that you were learning. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. With David's guidance and uh, yeah, more just like a thumbs up. Go to everything you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. David, can I ask about your um, uh, past as a teacher? Was teaching something that kind of that you always did alongside your 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 compositional career? Or did you come to it a little bit later on? Yeah, I mean, it's always been so education is a thing that I care about very much. My parents are both educators, so I grew up in a family and actually a lot of beyond my parents, a lot of my family members are, are educators of some kind. So I, I really grew up um, in that world. And initially, actually, when I was an undergrad, I was a music ed major and I had this experience where we, um, you know, when you're a music ed major, you have to learn how to play the recorder. And so I was in the recorder class with all of my fellow music majors and I was thinking like, my God, like 
a bunch of really good musicians just sound terrible on these things. <laughs> I never want to be in a room where ch- full of children playing these things. Right. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like I can't do, and, and you know, my life as a, as a public school teacher ended in that moment. Um, and it was around the same time I was also getting very serious about uh, composing. But it's, you know, there is a kind of um, being an artist that I feel like part of being an artist is also teaching that craft to the next generation of artists. That sure. sort of feels like that's just part of what it is for me. So um, so I really enjoy that. And, you know, and um, have also, when I was, I'm no longer really performing, but I when I was a percussionist, I was also teaching percussion and things like that. So uh, teaching has always been um, an important part of what I've done. And um, I think the trick is finding the balance, you know, especially as I've written more operas they take a lot more time because they're just just so many notes so you have to find the right balance between uh, you know playing and writing and any sort of administrative stuff that you do and then teaching as well so I think you know I would say about six or seven years ago I realized like it's just about finding that balance and whatever Mm. whatever the various components are for an individual it's just how they balance and you know so you feel um, like you can do everything you want to do yeah Certainly, certainly, the art of teaching composition doesn't come easy for to everyone, right? Mm. It's still a little bit of an enigmatic business. It's a weird thing. We don't really ever learn how to do it. We sort of, you know, th- one of the the difficulties of it is we are often we often teach how we were taught. Yes, and that's always that's not always the best thing. Um, and we don't really, you know, when you go through a doctoral program, you don't necessarily have pedagogy classes, so you're sort of. I mean, some I guess some schools do and some don't. I did not. Okay. <laughs> the schools that yeah. I went, we didn't have any kind right. of pedagogy right. classes. So it's really been about thinking about, um, you know, how I was taught, what worked and didn't work, and also just trying to be, uh, trying to help the student understand kind of where they are in the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's one of the things, depending, especially if you're teaching, I think undergrads, there's this whole journey they go on through the four years if you work for them for that full time. Um, and it's it's amazing to see. And it's so exciting when like there's a breakthrough that happens, you know. Yes. Um, but you really also have to be very kind of um, supportive and patient and help people through their first writer's block, which is terrifying. <laughs> and, you know, these things that happen where you, you're like, I oh, know you will write music again. Just go yes. for a walk, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, those things are, can be terrifying. Um, and it's also a good way, I think, for me to get out of my own head, you know, and, you know, step out of the piece that I'm writing oh, really? and still yeah. be able to think about music, but in somebody else's music. And I can, yeah. you know. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah, it must be it must be a nice kind of respite, you know. And also, it sounds like it doesn't uh, far from being a drain. Maybe on your own work, it, it gives you it kind of re-energizes yeah. the way yeah, the yeah, way yeah. the brain's functioning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it would be nice to talk a little bit about um, about <coughs> piano music, since you know I'm I'm going to be performing both of your yeah. your works oh, at yeah. this upcoming show. Um, I myself am also a composer, but I tend to do both equally, and I find myself both performing a lot of piano music and inevitably writing a lot of piano music. So I'm delighted that uh, each of you have, have kind of taken up this challenge. Jonathan, a little bit newer for you. Pharmacy is a brand new piece from Certainly, what I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Pharmacy is a, a work in five movements. Five short movements based on uh, an art installation by Damien Hirst. Um, 
I've been, uh, well, really, David inspired this, but also just being at Manus, I would take a trip up to MoMA. Uh, with Manus, you get, or with, with New School, you get a free admission into MoMA. So I would try to go <laughs> weekly. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, just get a better sense of, the, you know, uh, art as a whole outside of music. And I was really, I think, probably hammering this home every lesson with David, <laughs> this sort of connection or yearning to broaden, um, I think, my horizons outside of concert music into seeing myself as an artist as a whole and maybe even uh, like a multimedia artist. At that time, I was definitely thinking that way. Mm. Maybe not so much now, but um, that's that, that was the thinking that led to pharmacy and also okay. this interest and uh, in installation artists and, and kind of experimenting with if, if I could apply the effect that they have within an art gallery, their work has within an art gallery to uh, a concert hall with mm -hmm. my piece. So, uh, yeah, that was the initial hope for pharmacy, um, but also very influenced at the time by like Granger piano pieces at the at that time. You Is know. that right? Oh, yeah. Per as in Percy Granger. Percy Granger. <laughs> I would talk a lot about. I, think David, <laughs> I forgot about that. Actually. David yeah. will. That's a, that's yes. a very particular influence. Yeah. I must yeah. and an unusual one. I think one. that was what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, we're talking about Granger today. Yes. Cool. Uh, there yeah. was something about yeah the folk tune arrangements for piano. I think oh, I found okay. the score on YouTube. And um, I had played a bit of his wind ensemble music, but... Um, you know, his, his, the other half of Granger was, of course, the piano music. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess in a way he was the first pianist composer that I said, oh, I get it. You know, he's writing this way because he's a pianist mm -hmm. and knows the instrument. And that was kind of my avenue in uh, to the piano rep. Do you now do you have any training on, on the keyboard? I don't know okay. completely. I was a trumpet player yeah. turned composer. So. Yeah, my piano skills are very sad. I say <laughs> on the piano podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I would I would I would commend the piece for being very pianistic. Oh, thank you. For the Good. most part, I looked know, at I a lot of Granger. Yeah. So okay. if you see <laughs> if you see Granger, there. he's with us. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, that's that's interesting, and I, I I think I it's probably also fair to ask about uh, the time um, that you spent after leaving college. Sure. Uh, at Manus, um, and you you interned with Philip Glass for for two years. I did, uh, yes. Well, more than interned, I was his personal assistant personal for assistant. for two years. Um, okay. Yep, up until this past year, which uh, certainly, if not influenced pharmacy, I think I did finish pharmacy when I started working with Philip. Like the mm. last movement, I believe, was written while I started that job. But okay. he definitely inspired me to keep writing piano music because yes, yeah. his piano music is probably his most popular music. So. Uh, any chance he would get, he would remind me to learn how to play the piano and write pieces for myself, <laughs> which is a, right. a very Philip Glass well, uh, recommendation, right, as right. you can imagine. Right, right. That seems like sage advice. I would yes, say. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've kept writing piano music thanks to Philip. <laughs> Are you playing them yourself yet? No. I mean, well, actually, I have started writing a few things for me to play specifically. I mean, they're very, very simple, but it's interesting how you can really distill you know, in the spirit of Philip Glass, you're, you know, the essence of your music down yes. uh, when you're limited to your own abilities, in my case, which are very limited. So, <laughs> but David, you you might agree, but I've also I've often thought that, you know, when you when you um, encounter a composer's, let's say, works for children, for example, mm -hmm. or something that's maybe in a more simplified way, it is uh, it is kind of representative of their of their um, skill and their their modes of expression. As you said, Jonathan, I think it does distill their work down in a way, or at least their, 
their um, meaning. You know, you get kind of the essence of the composer uh, if, if they write very well. Do, would you agree, David? And sort of children's you know, pieces? I think or so. You know, it's funny. I remember years ago, what was it called? The Carnegie Hall commissioned a bunch of pieces for, I guess it was in 2000, like for the new pieces for the millennium kind of thing. And they commissioned a bunch of composers supposed to write pieces for children. I remember, I think Milton Babbitt wrote a piece. It's like really hard. <laughs> um, and so, you know, very, very advanced children. Yeah. <laughs> the skill levels of children well, vary true. greatly, I guess. Um, so it's funny that the idea of writing pieces for children, that that always <laughs> becomes like the model in my mind, which yeah. is not a good model <laughs> in some ways. You're right. You know? I, I, th I think that's a fair point. I had a composition teacher who... First, firstly, asked me what genre I didn't enjoy to write for, and so of course that's what we had to do. That was for the organ, and after we we Ooh. wrote a piece for organ, um, I mean he was very insistent on writing for uh, a cappella choir, mm. which which I think I mean his his reasoning being that it shows the same kind of skill or, mm. or not, you know, right. or if you, if you don't possess these skills, it's very exposed and very direct. Right. Um, so that might be another way. It doesn't have to be for a children's yeah, choir yeah. necessarily, but uh, um, I think that's 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 a fair point. Jonathan, that um, that that glass made to you, right? That, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And certainly, playing it yourself is, you know, in its own way, a great piece of advice too. Yeah. Because uh, as a composer, it you know limits your overhead, and also <laughs> you can uh, <laughs> certainly maximize, you know, your own presence, you know, yeah. and your engagement. So um, take yes. control of the means. Absolutely. Of production. Yes. Correct. And start your own ensemble yeah. while you're at it. Right. Well, <laughs> and you're in good company. I mean, even I, I've read that composers like Igor Stravinsky did just that, you know, That's decided right. he wanted to go on tour himself. Right. Started writing for his own, you know, what was good for him, uh, yeah. what felt right under his own fingers. Right. David, your your background, I know, is in mainly in percussion. Mm -hmm. But do you have do you have keyboard training? Uh, well, I took lessons for a long time. OK. Um, I am no good. Well, I'm sure that's fine. No, nope. no, it's really true. It's really, I just never, you know, it's funny. I think the, you know, as a drummer, because I, most of my life, I mean, yes, my undergrad degree is in percussion, but really I'm a drummer. Drummer. Who studied marimba to get a college degree, right? Like I, that, I didn't really, uh, you know, I, I didn't love playing marimba. I didn't love playing Bach and marimba. It didn't, you know, there were things that I enjoyed about it, but it really like the, the, the physicality of drumming is the thing that I was always drawn to. And I think the idea that, you know, for me, sound is produced by an arm holding a stick, hitting something. Yeah. So to translate that to fingers on keys, I could never do it. <laughs> I could never make that make sense to mm -hmm. me somehow. So um, I studied piano in, in high school and in college as well. I took lessons with this uh, terrific man, Galen Dibler, who's the most lovely, most patient person. And we basically just ended up talking about, you know, it was definitely, I was definitely that student who was like looking for life coaching. And <laughs> also I'll, yeah, I'll play this thing that I was supposed to practice at the very end. Like I was totally that guy. Right. Um, but, you know, I, so I felt very anxious about writing piano music and I didn't write it until Elegy Monsters Are Real. Mm -hmm. um, and that piece, as you know, is very, sparse and very pared down and there's it's it's not pianistic it's like anti-pianistic sure because i think i was so afraid of the idea of trying to write something idiomatic because i didn't feel like i understood it physically mm -hmm. um and so a lot of my work has been strategies around that i think and this this recent piece hang together uh, which is going to be premiering i think this coming fall i believe um you know, I, it's all about 
dividing the keyboard in half and having things run parallel to each other mm. um, in contrary motion, which is a sort of formal conceit that isn't about piano pianistic playing at all, but right. sort of helped to to helped me through it. And then with accumulation of purpose, I think part of the reason that it is six studies is because I was really wanting to work on mm. that aspect of things and to try to find ways to make the piano, to let the piano be a piano. Because I feel like Elegy is sort of fighting that in a certain way. It's using it as a big box full of strings that can resonate really loudly, <laughs> but it's not quite a piano, you right. know what I mean? Right. Um, and so some of the movements that are very, where, you know, there are these slow ringing notes that are sort of unfolding mm -hmm. or the, the, the movement where it is actually this accumulation of these sort of contrapuntal figures. Um, you know, I think they're not traditionally pianistic. I, I hope that is feels playable. I've been told that it feels playable. I cannot play it, but um, <laughs> it's a it's a challenge. I think if you're not a pianist, sure, you know, sure. Um, much like I mean, I feel like I have con uh, colleagues who um, feel anxious about writing for percussion, mm -hmm. and I'm like, ah, it's easy, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, of course. So you know, we we all bring our own sort yeah. of background. Um, and comfort levels, but yeah, piano has always been uh, kind of frightening. And the idea that we're talking about this piece you're writing now—that's sort of a concerto or sort of a not a concerto. I mean, I think right. that that the idea of writing a piano concerto on the one hand feels so exciting, um, and also totally terrifying. You know? Yes. Well, it's also it's in my case, I'm like, is it a concerto or not? You know, do I want to connect it with the history of amazing piano concerti? You know that yes. I uh, I don't necessarily want to be compared to at the moment. <laughs> it was more just exploring uh, the idea of piano and string orchestra and seeing what could happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Also, I mean, in that in the case of this specific piece, I think my voice has shifted a little bit since starting it, which I think can happen when you start a long piece. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you get to the end of it, you think, well. I'm really a little bit different now. I want to go back and change things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're keeping that piece on the back burner. We'll call it Concerto Zero or something for <laughs> now. You know, it's funny this question of changing. I, I, when I was an undergrad, I told my then composition teacher that I wanted to write an opera, Ooh. and he said, "That's really great. Don't do it yet. <laughs> Just wait. Just hold on to that excitement and wait like five years, <laughs> yes. at least." And it was really good advice, and it was exactly that. He said, because you're changing a lot right now, and if you, this going to take, it'll take three years for you to write it. You will be a completely different person and completely different composer yeah. when you finish it. And then you'll just be frustrated, or you'll have to go back and like change a bunch of stuff, or, you know. Um, so, sorry I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I know, I lived it. I <laughs> learned that lesson the yeah, hard yeah. way. <laughs> That's okay, though. Yes, I'm still writing more piano music, yeah. and uh, yeah, the shorter piano pieces this time. <laughs> I think, and I mean, this is this is a common sentiment from many composers today that that it can be a fearful endeavor to approach approach the piano, even for even for pianists. I mean, I've certainly heard that from colleagues, um, and I probably feel the same way. You know, there's just so much that it's already been said, and it's not quite infinite, but but we all somehow find our way. You know, and I think both of you have very convincing pieces, um, related in some ways. I mean, I think in structure, uh, although yours is in five movements, Jonathan and David, you have. Six, and six you call them six studies, mm -hmm. although they are very much connected, and they're definitely connected. Yeah, you, you have these. Um, uh, uh, you have a nocturne that, mm -hmm. that that finishes it, and then these interlocking pe these pieces are they the reveille reveilles, yeah, yeah, that sound sort of like trumpet mm -hmm. or, or brass or but very melodic. but with lots of reverb, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. which arguably is quite pianistic, although yeah. it might 
it might suggest other instruments too. Well, no, and I was very happy with this piece. I mean, when the, when the piece, when when writing it and having finished it, I felt like okay, I made a case for me as someone who writes piano music. Yes, you know, yes. Uh, in a way that I feel like Elegy kind of sidestepped, sort mm. of didn't engage with that question, and just wrote something that I thought would would sound cool on piano, which is different. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like those are different things, and I think the thing that you know, for me as a composer in general, but as um, when you look at a, com- a composer for any specific instrument, you the depth, uh, you know, you know the idea that you can go infinitely inside of the practice mm-hmm. of writing for any single instrument, and there's so much that you can do, and there's so many things to find, and you have to commit to going that distance. I think when you're writing any solo piece. Um, if you're really going to get to, I think, where, the, where you know, if you're going to write a piece that sort of deserves to be played and considered in the context of this repertoire that yes. we're so kind of frightened of in a way or feel the pressure of, you know, mm. it's like, you know, when you get into, you know, when you realize how hard it is to really write good prose, it's mm-hmm. so much work, you know, and I think that's the thing that with writing for piano in particular is just so much detail you have to consider something that i that really brought me to finishing pharmacy at least was like uh the tone base youtube channel and all of their oh yes yeah the interviews with you know professional piano you know really professional pianists that would never even consider playing new music they only (laughs) played beethoven and they're talking about beethoven fingerings and this one specific chord you know progression and whatever sonata it is just getting to know the kinds of things that uh, they really consider a pianist would really consider in classic piano repertoire and wondering mm-hmm. how you could approach that. I mean, and David, I'm sure you'd say it really changed the kind of piece you wrote for piano, you know, mm-hmm. um, just knowing how a, a non new music pianist, let's call it, would approach um, this repertoire and it, if it could be approached by that same pianist. So, yeah, well, that's yeah. interesting that the, the non new music pianist question because I, I have a um, I won't name the piece, but I have a piece that has this one passage that has been called totally playable and completely impossible by different pianists. <laughs> um, and I'm always so fascinated by this. And so, you know, I had a situation where someone said, oh, it's, and it's, you know, it's a series of, of scales circling around themselves. And um, it was premiered, it was played great, no problem. Next time it was played, I was told that the part was impossible. And I was like, that's so weird because... I literally just heard it. Right? Like, <laughs> so, and this, per- and maybe this person was totally faking it and was really convincing and I didn't notice somehow, but that doesn't seem right. So I asked uh, a good pianist, a good friend of mine who's a very good pianist, yeah. and I said, what's the deal about this? And he said, oh, so the trick is, if you play it with the correct fingering that you would learn as the correct fingering, it doesn't work. But if you start on the wrong finger, it's fine. Hmm. And he was a, like proper new music pianist uh, who was going to try whatever to get the sound right. And I think the pianist who had said it wasn't playable was a more traditional player maybe sure. who was, who had this kind of idea of like, well, you start this type of passage on this finger and that this is mm. the correct fingering. And so it was a really, you know, it was my first insight into this kind of stuff that you're talking about, this world of proper piano playing right. and the discipline of it and the tradition of it and the, the sort of rules of it. And the the sort of understanding that I need to look for people who are going to break the rules, <laughs> yes. you know, at least for at least for certain pieces or who are comfortable doing that or 
Um, but it was also very valuable because now if I ever encounter, you know, as, as a non-pianist, if I encounter a situation with that piece, I can say, oh, here's the trick. You just start yes. on the wrong finger and suddenly it's fine, you know. Right, you can approach them in a, sort a, of a way you know how to. Yeah. Them. Which is very handy, actually. Yeah. It's a very good, you know, I mean, it saves, saves time. And I think, I yeah. think interpreters always appreciate that. I mean, you know, not to slight too much of the of the uh, ver- various piano people around uh, and the incredible tradition that it is, but mm. if there are too many of us who are stuck in Beethoven, <laughs> then we're not doing something right. You know, if, right, if right. that if that um, if that performance practice has not evolved, if we're you know back in 1910 mm-hmm. with fingering, even from someone like Debussy who wrote right. a lot of piano music. Um, so much has happened since. I mean, you just don't have to look much further than the Ligeti Etudes. Right. And I think some of these pianists that maybe you're, yeah. you're, you're speaking and have worked with, speaking about and have worked with, you know, do have that experience. Um, so it's also, it does come from a lineage. It's just, it's not as uh, set in stone. It's not as canonic. Oh, well, there's sure. several lineages too, right? Sure. I mean, there, there's that idea of, of these sort of parallel paths that are equally, I mean, and I don't want to suggest that like a new music, someone who's really willing to do crazy stuff is still very <laughs> serious about technique and I mean they sure. have to be because this this the stuff that they're playing is often fiendishly difficult you know so yeah. you, and you can't do that with without technique I mean it's like singers too I mean you talk about um a singer like Barbara Han- Hannigan who can do anything it's like well it's because she's got great technique right so um it's all connected I sure. think yeah and I think that that gap will be bridged with time. I mean, I would love yeah. someday for, you know, pharmacy to be played at like the Clyburn or something super old school. You know, I think <laughs> I think we're only a couple of years away. <laughs> Maybe I'm being too hopeful. <laughs> yeah. No, I no, I think it's nice to be hopeful. Yeah. And we certainly will. will get there. But yes, there is a, there's a certain cohort that is stuck in time, I would say. Um, and Beethoven's wonderful, as we all agree. Yeah. But, and but, there's yeah. also a to- there's a world where that's. You know, this is one of those parallel lines where, like, you can live your entire life in new music. You can live your entire life in early music. You can, you know, I mean, we live in a in a world and a culture where there is room for all of those things, which I think is so important and so mm-hmm. great. Um, and so it's it's sort of p- partially about finding your people, but also being really aware of the different paths that are coexisting and and learning to sort of honor and respect and appreciate them. You know, yeah. and and hopefully work with them. In some capacity, if that if that kind of makes sense or is possible, right. it's not always yeah. possible, but especially if it yields such inspiring results, you know, sure. it gets you you know kind of gets your creative juices flowing, and uh, um, and we can face our fears like writing for <laughs> a solo exactly. piano. There we go. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you both here with us uh, today. Thank you again. Um, this, as I mentioned earlier, sort of uh, this comprises the very first, the pilot, if you will. Uh, podcast episode for composers in play so I can't think of a better way to kick it off Jonathan I want to first ask you uh, if there's anything you want to share with our listeners socials and how to learn more about your work oh sure yeah I uh, you can find me at at music on Instagram um, and on TikTok if you're there I uh, I post sort of process videos about composing and um, you know studio updates about what I'm up to I'm writing a lot of music this year so uh, yeah, if you'd like to follow along, you can find me there. I'm also on YouTube, Jonathan Wyatt. Um, yeah, I would love to have you have you take a look at it. Terrific. Well, I've really enjoyed your your process videos. You call them process? Process score. videos, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and I also have, yeah, the score shorts that are, score shorts. You know, I'm throwing yeah. a score down on my kitchen table. <laughs> I've done one with David. Thank you, David. Yeah, I need to do one with you, Adam. Yeah. Um, 
Anytime. Yeah, Anytime. that's a lot of fun. Just trying to engage with the new music community and and see what can happen online, maybe in a way that isn't quite happening enough. So no, it's yeah, great. It's wonderful. Trying to put it out there. Terrific. It's a, it's a great initiative. Thank you. Thanks. And and David, how about yourself? Where where can we find more more about your work and what's up next for you? Uh, yeah, davidtlittle.com and David T. Little or David T. Little Music on all of the various socials, Instagram, not TikTok, but YouTube, X, formerly Twitter. Um, I think that's all of the ones that I'm on. Um, yeah, and people, West Coast people, um, in uh, April, uh, Upper Parallel is doing a double bill with my one-act uh, Vincent Sport, my one-act comic opera. Uh, it's a double bill with uh, Laura Cartman's opera Balls. So they're calling it Birds and Balls. It's going to be really uh, fun and wild. Um, <laughs> and uh, Laura's piece is about the uh, Billie Jean King Battle of the Sexes tennis match. And uh, my piece, Vinca Sport with Royce Fabric, is about um, the strange Flemish folk sport of finch sitting. Um, wow. And then in the fall, um, be premiering a big monodrama in, um, in I think I can say in Virginia. I won't get more specific than that. Um in terms of location, but it's uh, an adaptation of Garth Greenwell's novel, What Belongs to You, which I've written for Kareem Suleiman and Alarm Will Sound. I'm really, really excited. This I've been working on this since uh, 2000. Wow. So this is, I'm just doing the final revisions now and about to send it off. So I'm really excited to, to share that with the world. I'm re- it's a piece I'm really, really, really happy with. So thrilled to get that out there. Well, congratulations. Yeah, fantastic. I think that that's an award-winning novel that by it's a, uh, Greenwell. Yeah, it's a gorgeous novel, uh, if people don't know. And Garth's writing in general, I mean, I mentioned earlier this th- the, the challenge of writing really great prose, and he's just one of these writers who you read it, and you're just so inspired by the kind of perfection of it. You know, it's really stunning. Excellent. He's also really nice, and that's that's always a bonus. Yeah, that <laughs> helps. <You know. laughs> has, has he been a part of the libretto or have you he so i adapted the, the libretto myself but he gave his blessing he's given some notes um has been very very supportive of the whole project and um uh, yeah it's really it's been really a great uh, great collaborative world to live in yeah yeah terrific well, well well we'll keep an eye out for that for sure and in new york thanks again to you both i'll see you on saturday piano side uh here in new york city <laughs> <laughs>